My name is Cody Hickman. I'm the music minister here at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And I'm Karen Prophet, Director of Communications. You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. And we're filling in for Justin Wheeler, our pastor, who's gone this week. He's actually in Haiti. He's been uh, our church partners, as many of you know, with the Haiti Collective. And the elders usually try to take a trip at least once a year. Yeah. Um, this year we had got two trips planned, and Justin was there doing a pastor's conference, yes. right? Well, it's kind of been planned for a long time that they hold a, a pastor's conference for the church there in Duane and uh, for uh, many different pastors around there just to give them more of a, uh, a better grasp on what it means to pastor. And I, I think particularly in, in some of the more technical skills involved yeah. in putting together a sermon and doing exposition and exegesis and, and things like that. But that. That's where he's been all week with um, with uh, some of our other partners in the, in the Haiti Collective. Yeah, it's really awesome, the work that God's doing over there in Haiti. And um, remarkable that we were somehow asked to fill in for this podcast. <laughs> it's remarkable the work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, remarkable that we were trusted with, <laughs> with such a fee, I think. <laughs> that part is remarkable. Uh, no, but I'm excited. Um, we are doing the, the study in Jerry Bridges' book, The Gospel for Real Life. Yes. And if you haven't picked that book up, it's, I encourage you to do because it's, it's been a blessing. I've mostly just been listening to you and Justin talk about it the past few weeks. Um, so you mean you've mostly just been listening to Justin talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it was team effort. Team, team effort. effort. Yeah. Somebody had to make him his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this uh, it's a good chapter. What what are we talking about today, Cody? Well, um, we've we've talked about the way that we've been affected by Adam's sin. Um, we've talked about uh, Adam's federal headship, and we've talked about um, how Christ, our our last Adam, really how federal headship applies to him and what it means to be united in Christ. And we've also talked about the justice of God and seeing the true nature of it and how it's been satisfied in Christ. And today we are, well, quite frankly, we're going to be discussing a topic that um, probably infrequented around many Christian water coolers this day and time. <laughs> um, it's the big W, and I'm not talking about Whataburger. It is <laughs> the wrath of God. Um, yes. Which, uh, as Bridget said in this chapter, the wrath of God is often denied by scholars and largely ignored or downgraded by most professing believers. Why do you think that is? Well, it's uncomfortable, first of yeah. all. Um, and as Bridges mentions in the book, um, people shy away. You hear wrath and it's autom- automatically a very negative thing. In today's day and age, Christians especially, we're supposed to be all about love. Jesus was all about love and peace. Yeah. And the idea of that wrathful, holy God is very far removed. We prefer not to think of God as a wrathful God. And really just churches, I think just even in Christian discourse, just how absent that is. But Bridges also gives us a couple of reasons. Well, um, for one, he says, sometimes we just think about the way that we've seen, or either that we've expressed wrath, or the way that we've seen wrath expressed in others, or maybe the way we've experienced wrath um, of others. And it makes us associate it with violent behavior, with destructive behavior, with unbridled anger and rage, abuse, and so on and so forth. Um, Kenan, are we right to distance ourselves from applying that kind of wrath or that idea of wrath to God? I mean, have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> that is very much found in God, so we can't 
we can't just distance ourselves completely from that idea. We see that he's a wrathful God. That's part of his nature. Which uh, leads to another reason that um, Bridges give, I think really ties directly into that, is um, we don't want to or we feel uncomfortable about thinking about our unbelieving friends or neighbors and particularly our unbelieving family members as being subject to God's wrath, which honestly I think reveals more about us and um, kind of going into what you just said about how we don't correctly understand the depth of our own sinfulness. And it leads us not to think of our sin or sin in general, except the ones that we uh, really hate, of course, that we never do. Right. And on that, he, he says, you know, we all of us, we have that idea that, yeah, we do some wrong things and we might be we might be in need of a you know, slap on the hand or but the wrath of God, you know, no. Nah. We're not. We don't deserve that, and that's just how we think of ourselves. We don't see sin to be worthy, or our, our sin, I should say, particularly to be worthy of such a strong punishment. And biblically speaking, I think that just means that we neither see the sinfulness of sin nor the holiness of God the way we should. In another way, I think, quite frankly, that means we haven't spent enough time looking at the cross. But why don't we start with the fact that God is holy, um, which God's holiness refers to multiple ideas. Um, I think at its base, it conveys the idea of separateness, transcendence, or otherness, um, that God is utterly different to and above what he has made, and of course, um, among many other things, but um, his holiness in regards to his righteousness uh, means that God is perfectly righteous and just. There's no darkness in him at all. As Bridges said, um, it means that God is eternally separate from any degree of sin. And not only is he separate from sin, but he can't condone it in his creatures either. Which leads to the fact that God is oh another, uh, another unpopular topic just in general in today's culture, but that God is judge. Yeah. Um, can, uh, do we, uh, as a Christian culture today or the Christian community at large, um, do we really think about God as judge in the way that we're supposed to? Or do you think we're just kind of a... Judge not, lest you be judged. How <laughs> 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 dare, dare anyone judge, right? That's I think that it's just along with the wrath of God as a very unpopular topic, God as judge. And as you're talking about those topics of holiness, in large part, we're okay with God being holy. We all recognize God's pure and holy and perfect and but we like to remove that from the wrath of god right but you can't have you can't have holiness without wrath you can't have god's the perfect nature of god without that hatred of sin and the need to judge the sinful right and so um if you're going to have a holy god you also need to have a holy judge so it, it a very unpopular idea in today's world i can say you know somewhat confidently that maybe Holy, the way it's used in many of the contemporary worship songs may not mean the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> no, I think you're right on that. I think it's important, um, although, I mean, as many times it's mentioned, I mean, you could literally chunk your Bible across the room, as I said a couple of weeks ago, and it'll open up to a page that talks about God's judgment or the fact that God is, is judged. Um, look back even to Genesis 18, Abraham referred to God as the judge of all the earth. And uh, the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 pretty much affirmed the same thing, that God is the judge of all, whom all will inevitably meet someday. Um, and particularly, they'll meet God the Son. 
who is the Father's agent in judgment, as we see in uh, John chapter 5, uh, particularly verse 26, which says, For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Is this the, uh, is this the way we think about Jesus today? As, as not Savior, but judge? Well, I think if, if you have a proper understanding of the gospel, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, if you're talking in large part our culture, no, this is Jesus is painted as love. God is love. If God is so loving, why would He judge? But as we're going to see later, why why is God's love so impactful? Well, it's because of what He's saving us from. It's because of His wrath that makes His love so great. So uh, to just say God is love without the wrath and without the judgment part, it's really cutting Him short of the power and the impact of that love he shows certainly he is love is so much stronger when you understand the love that did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all i think one way that a pastor put it one time is that yes god is love but love is not god right um but in the sense that um that love is as one of uh, god's attributes is not in any conflict with any of his other attributes because god is also wrath he's holiness he's righteousness he's justice and all these other things and love is imperfect god's love is in perfect harmony with that it's not like it takes a vacation or it's not like wrath and righteousness and god's holiness take a vacation um whenever he chooses to save somebody or anything like that you know if, if that truly is the case then the cross really makes no sense at all kind of something we talked about earlier about the difference between god's wrath and judgment compared to our our own that God's judgment is is different from our own, and that, as we saw the way it was described in chapter 4 of Bridges' book, it is always precise and exact in its re- retribution. Um, it is not flippant and kind of childlike like ours often is. Because God punishes and judges according to the exact nature of the crime, giving offenders exactly what they deserve, and he does so perfectly because his judgment of sin and evil, his wrath, which Bridges uh, simply refers to as God's justice and action, is in accord with and extends from his holy and perfectly righteous character, which is the assurance that all sin and evil of all times and places will be dealt with, period. Uh, God's judgment and or God's judgment on sin is not a matter of an if, but when, because God's holy and righteous character will accept nothing less. Yeah. So when we come back to our question earlier about wrath, um, as Bridges says, it arises out of God's intense and settled hatred of sin, and it is the tangible expression of his inflexible determination to punish it, which means that sin in every circumstance will be met with judgment. So, Kim, what did, or, you want me to just progressively make your name shorter as we go? Yeah, yeah, that's Kim? fine. <laughs> Kim, yeah, we'll, I'll be K by the end of this. <laughs> what is it particularly about sin that offends God in such a way as to always evoke a wrathful response? Well, I think, first of all, in terms of opposites, you know, God is holy. He is without sin. The exact opposite of that is sin. And sin in it as itself is defiance against God's very authority, defiance against God's very nature. It's rebellion. And as such, we rebel against God, our holy creator, and therefore is completely deserving of his judgment. Something I found really interesting in reading through this book was the way um, Bridges brought out John 3.36, which says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Prior to the gospel invading every aspect of our life, the wrath of God remains on us. And I mean, just let that be a nice little peace comfort for you at night. (laughs) The wrath of God remains on you if you are without Christ. Man, it's it's like I've read that verse several times, plenty of times in my life. But um, the weight of that reading through this chapter was made very fresh to me that those who are without Christ have not escaped the wrath of God, mm. but more so I have escaped that wrath because I have Christ and because I believed in the finished work of Christ. And so that rebellion that is in my heart, the sin that I was born with, the sin nature that we are all born with, and the sin that I continually rebel against God on a daily basis, God's wrath is not on me because of Christ's work. Just going right to what you said, our own evaluation of sin is always flawed if we fail to see it as anything less than an assault on God's character and sovereign authority. If we fail to see it as anything less of a violation of it, as an intentional wrong, and as an act, an all-out act of rebellion against God and defiance against His will. As Bridget says, I think we, we fail to see our sin and rebellion against God is an expression of disdain and contempt, not only for the content of God's law, but also for the God who gave it. In this way, we must also not see uh, God's wrath as a childish reaction to disobedience like ours would be, but we must see God's wrath against sin as the necessary response of a sovereign and holy God who is perfectly just, who cannot tolerate wickedness in any form or fashion. So kind of going back to what how, how Bridges started um, this chapter. In what way did Jesus receive God's wrath against sin? What does Jerry say about the cup of God's wrath? Yeah, the cup is a fascinating subject in, in the Bible. Jesus is um, about to be crucified and he's praying in the garden. He says, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Bridges asks the question, what is in that cup? Um, and really what we're going to see is that that cup represents all the wrath of God, the righteous anger and wrath of right. God, um, as seen in multiple passages throughout the Old and New Testament. One of my favorites especially was Jeremiah twenty-five fifteen. Mm-hmm. He says, Take from my hand this cup filled with wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. That's God speaking to Jeremiah to tell them. The wine of my wrath. It's even in Revelation 14, 9 through 10, it's mentioned as the cup of God's wrath. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worship the beast and the and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on his hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Mm-hmm. So we just see this idea, this cup is, is full of the, that righteous judgment and wrath mm-hmm. that God will pour out. What Jesus is praying for there in the garden, and, and we see later, obviously, he does take that cup, mm-hmm. but we see why he doesn't. He wants nothing more than for that cup to be removed because that represents the righteous judgment of God. Well, I Man. think that, that brings us to a really good question. Um, what was at the heart of Jesus' desire, um, at the heart of his prayer that he would not have to drink uh, the cup of God's wrath? Is it merely that he just didn't want to be crucified, or does it go deeper than that? I think it goes much deeper into uh, he knew he knew what was coming in the sense that that meant separation his father not just separation but also condemnation he would experience 
the full wrath of God in order to atone for the sins of all who would believe. Well, I think it, it ought to change our perspectives on, you know, what is what what is truly valuable. Um, yeah. In the sense that it, it makes me, if you think back about the passage of um, Jesus telling us not to fear those who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in right. hell. Just know that even beyond the the physical pains we may suffer in the in this life, um, there's something so much worse. Let's let's move on to uh, another topic that Bridges covers in this chapter. How or what does the word propitiation mean? What does Bridges tell us about it? Um, how is Christ our propitiation? Um, and why is that such an important thing for us to understand as believers? Yeah, well, it's an interesting word. Um, in a in a modern dictionary, you're going to find a definition like appease or deflect. But Bridges talks about. The, the full weight of that word carries so much more. And when we think of Jesus being our propitiation, in the sense that he stood in our place, taking the rightful wrath of God that was due us, carries more the idea of uh, Jesus appeased, but not just appeased God's wrath. He fully exhausted mm. God's wrath, meaning he fully accepted every bit of the wrath due us in an effort to to make us right and just before God. He propitiated the Father, meaning that he fully satisfied the Father's wrath against us and the sacrifice of himself on our behalf. So this, the, the suffering of the full weight of the wrath of God, the anguish that he felt in his soul as a result of the abandonment and forsakenness that he experienced from the Father as his wrath was being poured out on him. As he was made sin for us, meaning as he was charged and punished for our sin as our representative, um, this uh, this is what distressed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, um, it's the point of even being so stressed that he sweats drops of blood, and what caused him to cry out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Another way, um, it's also what caused him to cry out, "It is finished," which were words of victory and accomplishment. Um, yeah. By no means words of defeat. For in saying it is finished, Jesus declared that his task of saving his people from God's wrath was a total success. Yeah. Um, so that Paul could tell us in Romans 8, uh, and conclusively at that, that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are united in Christ by faith. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you think of that cup, then the gospel just becomes so much sweeter. When you mm -hmm. think of the, the wrath of judgment. He willingly accepted all that wrath. Having that understanding, you know, then we can really say, start quoting music here, the love <laughs> of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. Mm -hmm. I think the whole thing is summarized and personally my favorite, my probably my favorite chapter of the Bible, Ephesians 2. Like the rest of humankind, we were by nature objects of wrath, mm -hmm. but because of his great love for us, God, who is in, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So we, we went from being an object of God's wrath, where we deserved that cup, that full judgment, to uh, being made alive with him and renewed through his grace. Right. Man, that's just, it's the gospel. It's what it's what's preached here every single Sunday at Cornerstone. Absolutely. It's what uh, fuels our life. And we can become... Uh, kind of complacent to that, right. but the truths of it, man, it's just, it's like the more you learn, the more you realize 
you don't know everything there is to know <laughs> about the saving grace of God. And that's, that's just amazing. I actually want to end our session today with um, Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can't, can't really improve upon Paul. <laughs> no. <laughs> we should have just started with that, then we wouldn't have had to talk so long. <laughs> You know, we could have just read it and said, well, goodbye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's so important. Yeah. <laughs> Save the best for last. <laughs> yeah, we wanted, that's how we kept you listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this was fun. It was fun. Take us away. Well, thank you for listening to us today. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cornerstone Wiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Kenan, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and thank you for listening.